Welcome to New Human Living Radio Show, bringing you powerful interviews to awaken the power in you. Learn more at newhumanliving.com. And now your host, Les Jensen. Oh, really? And then what happened? Welcome to the show tonight. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm excited and delighted for this episode. There's a there's a saying that uh, scientists had had felt like they've accomplished the great accomplishment, and and so they call up God and they say to God, God, we have figured it out. We have figured out the miracle of life. We can create life. And God says, oh, really? Tell me how you do it. And the scientist said, well, first you take dirt. And God said, whoa, 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 whoa. Time out. Get your own dirt. (laughs) We're, We're attached to nature at the hip. Pinch your body, pinch your, pinch your body. Where were those atoms before your mom and dad were making whoopee? Before you were conceived? Your body is indeed nature itself before you came along. And Humanity is not responsible for nature in a fundamental way, but we're certainly on the hook for how we interact with nature or how we neglect or abuse nature. Nature doesn't need any guidance from us. Nature's got a billion plus years experience, if not more. Just look up at the night sky and look at the inconceivable depth of all the galaxies and universes. Those are all stages where nature's expressing itself. Tonight, the topic of the show is conversations with birds. And our guest tonight is Dr. Alan Powers. I think you're gonna like this episode. When you, if you go out in nature and, uh, you know, like I, I live here um, in the Rocky, uh, next to the Rocky Mountains, and I can easily drive up and pull over in some arbitrary place, not the visitor center, not the gas station, go up in nature and then just walk um in a place you'd never choose on your own. In other words, get away from the imprinting of man so you can see nature in its own natural environment. And there's a there's an extreme elegance, a grace to nature. Nature is in harmony with itself. Nature's in harmony all the different facets of life that are intertwined from the microbes in the uh, in the soil to the mountain peaks to rain and snowfall 
into plants and animals and even uh, even the mineral world. It's uh, there. There's a couple of books that come to mind um, as it relates to humans' interaction with animals. Um, of course, the Native American um, Indian had a very sacred relationship with nature. There's a book called Mutant Message Down Under. Mutant Message Down Under. And it it's, has an insight into the Aborigines of Australia and their connection with nature. And the other book I'd like to suggest is Anastasia by an author called Vladimir McGear. I might not be pronouncing that exactly right, but Anastasia by Vladimir McGear. And they they share a relationship with animals that is uh, very impactful. And then, of course, there's our guest tonight, Alan Powers' book, Conversations with Birds, the metaphysical the metaphysics of bird and human communication. I, I jumped on this episode because I wanted to talk about this topic directly to, to talk about our human relationship with nature. Now the show is pre-recorded and I think you're gonna enjoy this, this episode. Let's get started. Conversations with birds, the metaphysics of bird and human communication. For decades, Alan has studied bird vocalizations, developing the remarkable ability to imitate bird song and get them to respond and even change tunes. Through his years of study, he has discovered that Birds can teach us important lessons about the world. Imagine that, nature teaching us. Birds can teach us important lessons about the world and about ourselves. As Alan explains, by communicating, communing cross species, we can reach out to the timeless interconnected web of all of life, past and present. Join me in uh, enjoying this episode. Have a listen, and I'll talk to you on the other side. Enjoy. Welcome to the show, Alan. Thank you so much. It's a, a, a pleasure and an honor to be on it. You know, I was really delighted with the subtitle of your book, Conversations with Birds, the, the Metaphysics of Bird and Human Communications. When I look at your bio, I see quite an academic background, and metaphysics tends to kind of lay on the fringe of that. What what brought you to write a book about the metaphysics of bird and human communication? Well, that's a, a great question, and I have to say that I was um, in the book when I, in the manuscript I wrote. I was writing about the birds metaphysics that they thought perhaps 
by the dawn chorus, which all birds participating participate in, that they were helping the sun to rise, that it was a metaphysical act in that sense. And I think my uh, editors up uh, in Vermont decided actually there's a lot more in the book about this and from the perspective of what is behind the physical. Because I, I do emphasize the physical making of bird sounds because when I read uh, at the Brown uh, University Science Tower, in uh, I was writing for the first ver- version of uh, this book, in the 90s, um, 1990s and early 20s, uh, 21st century, um, the professionals were all recording birds and uh, playing the recording back to the birds, which would then attack the speaker <laughs> because they did not want to hear themselves. They, unlike humans who love to, you know, I'm honored when anybody imitates me, um, uh, birds want, uh, have unique uh, spoken or whistle language, and um, so they're perfectly happy to hear someone else. For instance, a chickadee, something like that, or, and the other one will answer back, quarter tone lower. Now, to the human ear, you know, that's not much, but to the birds, it's a huge amount. Birds have better ears and better language, arguably, than humans do. Do you think they articulate across the spectrum of sound with more resolution and intention than our our human demeanor? Uh, that's a, a wonderful question. I can't say that they do with more, but uh, when you think about it, you know, for us to go, for instance, to Mexico or to to uh, South America, you know, we book a flight, etc. They do it on their own. And so you say, well, that is really remarkable. A bird brain is not a bird brain, you know. It's not nothing. <laughs> Uh, and the hummingbirds, when they go, uh, and very often they do not cross the Caribbean. They often stay on one of the islands or Florida, et cetera. But when they make it across to South America, I read that they have something like two minutes to get a uh, supply of sugar uh, before they die. Wow. And it takes every last bit of their energy to do that, you know. So, uh, anyways, the, yes, the... Uh, uh, so uh, maybe not more, but on the, in some ways more, you know, they're dealing with a huge motion. You know, if I walk out my door and spend a, a half an hour walking, uh, great. You know, I've gone two miles, three miles. They can do two or three miles in, in uh, ten seconds sometimes, you know. So uh, uh, they're dealing with, with differences. And... Uh, and I think they do have a, their language expresses a lot. They, uh, I have a, a, a section on what they do and do not say, and um, let's see if I can find that. I think I can. Uh, birds are uh, tasteful conversationalists. This is on uh, page 61 of my book. They do not talk about di- digestion in restaurants. 
nor about flatulence, though all those seeds and berries must do something. They do not converse about their health problems, about Dr. Bierstein's latest discovery from the blood test and his consequent recommendation of what trendy drug you've seen advertised on TV. Nor do birds talk at great length about sports teams in their sumptuous stadiums. You know, I'm thinking of TV and what we want. About the latest contract negotiated with this knuckleballer or that quarterback. The stadiums they evaluate only as nesting sites. Birds' stock portfolios are remarkably thin, though some few species do hoard, and their discussion of investments can be summed up in the seasonal ebb and flow of sunlight. They do chatter a great deal about weather, and rain causes many to sink into silence. Not robins, though. Even among humans, the avian ability to discuss weather instead of serious subjects has always been a sign of good breeding, and birds are nothing if not good breeders. The migratory species would probably watch the weather channel before they migrate if they knew human language. Certainly butterflies should too. When Hurricane Bob tore through Rhode Island at 110 miles an hour, I saw dozens of monarch butterflies caught in their migration swept backwards at very high speeds. Uh, in fact, I suspect birds have their own weather channel or at least weather reports. Last October, I heard around sunrise very rapid 16th note triplets, an ascending minor third. <laughs> Two beats a second, 12 notes in a second. That was a familiar Carolina wren, but faster than I have heard it. Perhaps the speed reflected the temperature. I do know that Harlow Shapley, the astronomer that I knew in the summers out on Star Island, once created an accurate thermometer from ants because their speed varied, as did the temperature. In the case of ants, they were the opposite of humans, walking faster in the heat, slower in the cold. And I think that Carolina Wren's October morning song is essentially a weather report. So I think they do talk about certain things maybe a little better than we do winds and weather, you know, and, and uh, certainly the air of flight and stuff. But not everything, certainly. I don't know. I think birds have a metaphysics when they think they're rising, raising the sun. But uh, it's not uh, the way we would in our tomes, philosophical tomes of metaphysics, Aristotle's metaphysics and things. You know, the a lot of times animals or perhaps the archetype of animals can hold a, a, a demeanor to them. I mean... A squirrel, a mm -hmm. uh, uh, hyperactive mm -hmm. squirrel. Uh, uh, the, the road is littered with the carcasses of indecisive squirrels. <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it is. It is. Yeah. And yes, and, hey, hey. and and the when I when I hear the birds in the morning, they are just so hyper joyful. There's such a yeah. I, I don't even know if joy fully encompasses the the um, fullness of their or the richness of their, I guess, appreciation of what's transpiring. Yes, yes, um, that that is true. That is true. In, in some ways, 
maybe, uh, uh, and then and years ago, that is all. There was a, I think it was Francesco Nottebaum, a, a bird expert, but uh, no, no, somebody before him, who said that birds uh, express emotions mainly. And uh, and I think that's a perfect example of it, joyousness, and and uh, one of their way of expressing sorrow or fear with a predator around is silence. So they don't talk about it; they just shut up so that they're not eaten. You know. Right. I uh, uh, remember of a, 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 a birder from Washington State uh, told me about seeing a, a male cardinal, bright red. You know. Um, and uh, near uh, the nest, uh, 10 feet from his nest, was a female in it, right? And when there was a predator that came nearby, the, the red cardinal started flying away from the nest, obviously, because that's why male birds, unlike with humans, are the better dressed, right? They're, they're the ones with the colors, because having colors makes you... Uh, more easily eaten, <laughs> right. uh, more more available to the predator. And this bird, this cardinal, started to fly away, and the predator got him uh, within uh, a second. You know, no problem. Uh, the predator had no problem seeing red and catching the red. Um, I do have something I, I'd like to say about uh, trying to uh, teach a bird uh, a song. Uh, this is an oriole, which is the closest we have to the British uh, uh, blackbirds, which do uh, piano songs. They, they do the, the notes, the diatonic scale. But orioles do something very close. And uh, once I heard one make three short notes, and then two glisses, a minor third lower. What I... Uh, tried to teach them, it sounded a lot like the beginning of Beethoven's most famous theme, starting with Fifth Symphony. The only hitch was the fourth note glissandos down a half step, so it went <laughs> making it a major uh, third. And so I uh, tried uh, using the bird's tonal flexibility and whistled the fifth note a half step plus a quarter tone higher. And then it did it, sort of. It was a little flat. Um, the bird did it. I had preached uh, to a bird. The first <laughs> four notes sounded almost exactly like the first four of Beethoven. And truth to, to tell, the fifth note was a quarter tone lower than Beethoven, but close enough for union work, as musicians said. Uh, but after about three times, I thought, okay, this is good. I'll try the next thing. But having succeeded with the one note, I heard nothing now. That last one blew his mind, or my cover, as an Oriole. At any rate, that Oriole could not conceive <laughs> or perform such a note in such a sequence. It was a outre, a gaffe, a breach, a solecism, if not a faux pas. But I must have sounded like an overbearing megalomaniac crazy to close the conversation for after all who was he talking to beethoven <laughs> that eclipse of a composer but i must 
say, the Orioles' instinct was like the German composers. That descending fifth interval in Beethoven comes much, much later. It goes... There's a finality to it after a lot in between. So maybe the Oriole understood Beethoven better than I did. So, uh, well, I find it uh, compelling because uh, leading up to this interview, I've thought of uh, all the different stories I've heard of of animals. For example, I've heard that when there's a flood, elephants will walk up a hillside and just stop at a seemingly random part of the hillside, but time will prove that that where they stopped is where the water stopped as well. In other words, wow. a, as the wow. flood came, they knew how high the water was going to go. And then, uh, And then what really struck me was, I get so many books doing these interviews, I got a book about... 48 Hours in Taos, New Mexico. Carl Jung mm-hmm. came to the United States and mm-hmm. talked to Native American elders in Taos, New Mexico for a 48-hour visit. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. And, the, and what came from that is, uh, from my own perspective, a fundamental difference. Uh, Carl Jung talked about the, the primitive as mm-hmm. as like a root of consciousness or whatever and mm-hmm. and the native american had a completely different connotation in the book the native american shares a memory of being in a blizzard and a coyote comes along or perhaps a wolf mm-hmm. and the indian and the coyote have a conversation and the coyote says there's other two-leggeds like you um, farther along, and if you go a little bit farther, there's a there's buffalo for your food, and and wow. so there was an interaction between species, mm-hmm. and as wow. we as we reawaken or um, yeah. reharmonize our persona, I think it's mm-hmm. going to be inherently obvious to us that we're an element of a collage of elements called nature, and our attention should go outside of us to these other species. Yes, yes. And and what is happening, of course, with the global warming and other things, the, the other species are suffering tremendously, uh, birds especially, uh, among them. And... Um, so uh, without uh, and we are doomed to have the same happen to us at a certain point we might with our intelligence manage to outlast some of the other species for a while but we're, uh, we will have the same uh, fate if we're, so we should learn uh, not only pay attention to the other species but learn from them yes absolutely um well, as as you put more and more attention on um, birds and their communication, how how has that changed your perception of them as a species? Ah, uh, that's really interesting, but hard to say. Um, uh, I 
I think uh, that uh, they, they're all quite different. That, that I have, you know, uh, uh, respect um, for the, the, the birds, even even the little ones. You know, like the, we have a, a white-throated sparrow that I first heard as a kid up in Maine. My grandparents had a farm, forty acres, up in Norway, Maine, on uh, on. Um, Crockett Ridge, and uh, there I heard <laughs> the Peabody bird, they call it also, which is the white-throated sparrow, and I, I never heard them down here until maybe 15 or 20 years ago, uh, and I think that basically they were a more northern bird, but, but uh, with climate or whatever, uh, they they developed on so and I was so happy to hear them here uh, to see them here I didn't hear them a lot because they were here in winter and uh, in winter birds uh, kind of close down their sounds because uh, they it takes energy to 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 for them to, to talk and uh, uh, they need all the energy they get in winter from the suet and the seeds uh, just to just to survive in the in the cold winter um, so uh, I, different birds, I, I think I have different relations with whatever that is. You know, I never particularly liked. You can you can uh, put seeds in your hand and chickadees will come to your hand. I did that once 25 years ago, but I, I never. I always like to stay a little bit separate from from these creatures. Um, but I have uh, you know all, all the. I, I tell people don't cut down dead trees because a lot of my favorite birds, the local ones, titmice, chickadees, uh, even bluebirds, uh, nest in dead trees. Of course, a bluebird will also nest in a house occasionally, and that's that's why because the the house is like a hollowed out dead tree to them. And of course, the woodpeckers, the uh, we have three main kinds of woodpeckers, one of the biggest being what they call the red-bellied. He has a red head, but there's a different woodpecker called red-headed. Um, so they, the, the woodpeckers uh, chip out these the dead trees, and then other things live in their nests or live in the chipped areas. Right. So dead trees are good for, for birds. <laughs> well, very nice. The, uh, nice. So if 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 I'm listening to the show and I'm a rookie to listening to birds with intent what what's a like a beginner's guide I mean is there just mm-hmm. general nuances that help me understand a, like a a basic uh pretense behind communication That's a a, a good question I think I sort of covered a little bit in my first chapter, not the preface, but the first chapter about uh, uh, whatever bird is nearby. For instance, you have in Colorado a bird I envy you for, which is the western meadowlark. I've only heard one once, a little south of Colorado Springs, and it's just a beautiful, uh, beautiful kind of twirling sound. Uh, but whatever bird you have near you, for me, it was uh, titmouse. And 
and then when they nest, they make this. So when I would respond to them and try to say something a little bit different from what they were saying. And sometimes, you know, for instance, there would be a, and I would do. So now <laughs> that's probably a little bit like, hello and Merry Christmas, I'm saying that or something. You know, I don't know what I'm saying, but I'm saying something that they say on the nest. So it's a, but it's perceived as, as a, certainly a separate bird, me, uh, saying it. Right. Um, so, yeah, go ahead. Well, you know, like I'll sit in my backyard and uh, I'll listen for a bird uh, perhaps a few doors down where there's no uh, visual connection and I'll hear them yes, yes, yes. chime in and then I'll, I'll either parrot them or yes. I or I'll uh, come up with my own, but but I'll only chime in after after they make a sequence. So it's like a yes. they'll say something, and then I'll I'll do something n- not similar to them, but consistently yes. Yes. right after them. And sometimes yes. they fly over to see like who the hell yes. is that? Exactly, <laughs> that's very true. That's very true, and that means you you've gotten something somewhat close to what they're used to hearing. Uh, other birds, you know, could be... Yeah, exactly. No, they do check you out, absolutely. Um, uh, uh, when uh, I say uh, learning certain intervals is good, and if you just take our national anthem, the O-O say, that's basically a, uh, a triad, a major triad. <laughs> like that. So if you just do the first two, that's a minor third. And that's a common, common uh, interval. Uh, uh, then there's the uh, uh, the fourth, which is which is somewhat common, uh, made by robins. Uh, in between their their burbling, if they do, they do the fourth in between. Um, so uh, if you do. Uh, that's a fifth, which is a, a major thing. But, you know, uh, uh, my uh, friend in um, uh, a birder and expert violinist, too, and composer in Australia, Hollis Taylor, told me about the pied butcher beta. I, I always think that the wood thrush, the American wood thrush, is the most beautiful bird song in the world because it's a pentatonic song. It does this. I say all birds want to be drummers, but the the, the pen, if you just play the black keys on a piano, that's a pentatonic scale, and that's what the wood thrush does. But but Hollis Taylor tells me about the pied butcher bird, which is, is almost like a modernist composer. He does some intricate things, including the uh, augmented fourth or diminished fifth. Uh, which is called a tritone, which is only used in very modern uh, classical music, and that is that's a tritone. And uh, I don't know of any birds 
around me that make that, but pied butcherbirds do. <laughs> well, maybe if you leave a little uh, whiskey out in the bird bath, they'll learn new tunes. <laughs> well, well <laughs> that's a good idea. <laughs> so that's uh, nice. That's nice. That's better than my uh, 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 dove sound. Very nice. The uh, <laughs> I'm going to butcher one more. Um, nice, that's quite quite good. Yes, yes, you have a wonderful ear. I used Absolutely. to I used to raise chickens. Um, well, ah, ah, yes. Well, I helped my grandparents raise chickens, and they never. My grandfather was a butcher, and so they never had let us around when they polished them off, although I did manage to see once how they did that. And uh, they boiled the thing and got the got the uh, feathers off and all that. But uh, they also raised, my grandfather raised a, a veal calf every every summer. And, of course, they he didn't butcher it until we'd left at the end of the summer. But, uh, uh, gee. but they, of course, knew a lot about nature uh, more in many ways uh, um, than... than I do, but but they didn't know specifically about these things about birds. Nice. Well, uh, I want to make sure that the audience knows about your book and where they can get it. And if you have a web page you want to share, can you share that information with us now? Surely, surely. Uh, the, the conversations with birds, the metaphysics of bird and human communication. The problem is that a, somebody came out, a, a fam- more famous author, came out with the same short title in November. And, and it was my my publisher that decided to go with this title. So, uh, But it's available on, you know, on Amazon and, and any of the big bookstores, Barnes & Noble, et cetera. And there is a website specifically for this book, which is Habitable Trees. Oh, no, no, it's not plural. Habit, I couldn't get the plural one. Habitabletree.com. H-A-B-I-T-A-B-L-E-T-R-E-E.com. And that's all about uh, this, this specific book. And I have another one that's about all my books, and that's Habitableworlds.com. And that tells about my resume and all that stuff, but you don't need to know. But... Uh, Yes, I haven't done anything with with foreign birds. I know uh, there's quite a bit in this one uh, about uh, uh, the uh, blackbirds, because the blackbirds in Euro blackbirds in England and Italy. My daughter lived in Italy 25 years, so I got to, and I wrote two books in Italy. But uh, they do things like this is one. That's one that I actually have the notation for in my book, and um, that uh, was one I heard in Dorset in England. And what they would do is fill in. That was just the part they would repeat. Um, Blackbirds are incredible composers, and uh, they would repeat that every ten measures or something. But then they would add notes in between. I have actually 72 measures of a blackbird I heard in Dorset that I notated uh, and sometimes when I give readings, I bring along the music and try to do some of those. Um, well, um, t- 
time can go by pretty fast. Uh, I've really enjoyed this conversation about, well, conversation about conversation with birds. Um, I I really think uh, humanity needs to reconnect with the natural yes. environment around it, and yes. and your book brings that to a very practical, pliable level, and I appreciate that. I want to well, thank, thank you. I I envy I envy your uh, ear for the uh, dove and and for chickens. I think you have a great ear. Oh, I, I'll say one last thing about music here: the titmouse that we have is one of the first things that I, it's simple. But it also is very close on page 125 of my book to Mendelssohn's Italian Symphony. <laughs> like that. So uh, anyways, that's a, a minor footnote to the whole thing. But uh, I, I have uh, uh, really appreciated uh, talking with you. And um, I, uh, I uh, really uh, look forward to uh, the effect of, of this radio interview. So thank you so much, Les. Very nice. We've been talking with Ellen Powers, and the conversation tonight has been the title of his latest book, The Conversation with with Birds, The Metaphysics of Bird and Human Communications. So as you go throughout your day, there's going to be uh, a day tomorrow and there'll be one after that and pretty much one after that. Pay attention to what you pay attention to. Where do you put your awareness? Where do you put your consciousness? With the caveat of nature, natural sounds, Maybe you live by uh, water, uh, a babbling brook, or when the sun comes up and you're laying in bed and you hear the birds outside. To, To reconnect with the nature of nature, so to speak, to, to reattune our ears to hear the natural sounds of our environment. It's a, it's, a, it's a vastly beautiful planet we live on. And I know in the human condition, in our human narrative, so to speak, there is so much uh, angst and worry and fret and uh, suffering and sorrow and pain. But as a whole, as a whole, there's vast oceans of peace on this planet, metaphorically oceans, forests and mountains and the plains and deserts. Nature knows how to live with itself. It really does. Humanity could probably uh, um, leave the earth and the earth would be just fine. It doesn't need the the mindset of man to coach it. Uh, our egos, our academics, we're the rookies here. 
we're the green beans, so to speak. It's everything's in place for us to live on the most wonderful planet you can imagine. That planet already exists today, although certainly humanity has had a heavy hand. Humanity has had a very heavy hand in in arenas of nature, but nature overall is is I could say compatible with itself, but it's 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 already in harmony. It never left harmony. Sure, there's tsunamis and earthquakes and hurricanes, and those aren't very harmonious, and I get that. But once they pass, nature knows how to do it. It just knows how to do it. It, you know, uh, here in Colorado, we've had. Uh, very intense forest fires. And of course, that's a very um, destructive aspect of nature. But it really surprises me how nature can spring back from that. Um, (laughs) Perhaps you have a lawn at your house. And here in uh, the United States, we have dandelions which a lot of people consider as a weed. And they're really, it's really kind of a beautiful thing to watch how they seed because it's like hundreds of perfectly designed little umbrellas or whatnot with the seed element embedded in that. Um, It it forms this beautiful round top if you will with with the um with all its seeds and when the wind blows it so eloquently lifts them off and they go flying flying away and it it just it fascinates me how nature is designed to recreate itself just like um uh, some seeds can be eaten by birds, and birds migrate, and then they poop the seeds out, and now the seed is in an, a new dynamic, and nature has reconstituted itself. I know there's a lot of uh, dialogue in in social media and whatnot about the climate and about um uh we have to do this and we have to do that and and it's up to us and and the, the way i the way i see it is the all that humanity has to do is be more graceful with itself with with its with its interaction with the world around us uh as soon as we um back off from any behavior that is um destructive nature will fill in the blank no problem it's been doing that for a very long time and i mean the the more you look at nature 
there's a real elegance to it. There's a real, um, I guess I'd say wisdom to it. The way it's, it's just, it's just so beautifully designed. Water rejuvenates itself. The air cleans itself. The, um, it's, it's just a beautiful, beautiful thing. And, and, and we're just one part of a very, very vast collage of nature expressing itself. You know, when you're on social media and you click on something and uh, you start seeing more of it in your feeds, every time you see a picture of nature, maybe it's a sea urchin or a flower, just click on it. And, And what you'll notice over time is as the as the engines give you more of what you click on you're going to see more expressions of nature i've been doing this for quite some time clicking on pictures of birds and flowers and all manner of nat- uh, nature expressing itself <laughs> i i'm dumbfounded with the diversity of nature if you think of the human genome, humans are only the normal in humanville. There's so many types of animals, so many types of of nature expressing itself that are completely contrary to our human nature. We're a subset of a subset of a subset of a subset of of genetic expression, if you will. We are the by far the vast minority of, of personifications of nature, if you will. Nature, nature doesn't need our wisdom. We're not the one to decide what nature should do. Nature, nature is well aware I mean, it, 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 isn't it funny that we, um, we, it takes a billion years, billions perhaps of years to get to this moment, and then the, the Western academic mind comes along and says, well, this ain't right, and that's not right, and, and certainly we can recognize how we're incongruent with nature, but Again, nature does not need coaching from us. All nature, all that needs to happen for for us to get back into a more harmonious planet is for humanity, humanity to be more harmonious with itself, with itself. So, Pay attention, like I was saying, I've been fascinated by how just flippin' happy the birds are when the sun comes up. They're just, (laughs) the archetype of joy, of just, you know, just um, super, super excited. the the joy that that birds have 
day after day after day after day. They're really tireless with this. Uh, I, I guess I would put my own spin on it to say appreciation. Maybe their song is an appreciation of another day. Maybe their song is is the joy of seeing the sun come up for yet another day. What an exciting time to be alive. What an exciting time to be alive. Humanity is creating humanity's future. And we vote for our future every day. We vote for our future every day by what we put our attention on. Whatever we put our attention on, we'll get more of. So let's play around a little bit. So what do you want? What do you want? Pretty simple question. What do you want? I know it's open. I know it's vague. I I get that. But what do you want? So so many people have... uh, They've had tough times. I get that. Sometimes we're overwhelmed with emotions. I get that. Sometimes the the patterns that have given us a sense of comfort in the collective consciousness have been shattered. I get that. But what do you want? What would the future look like if you were to dream it up? Just flat out dream it up. Don't worry about if it exists or not or if it can be done or not or whatever or not. What do you want? What do you want more of? In other words, what would heaven on earth look like? Well, what does heaven mean? Yeah, I know I get that. I'm trying to get you out of your head and into your imagination, out of your head and into your heart, out of your head and into a new idea of what do you want. When we daydream, when we imagine our future, We're literally opening up the, I could say, the quantum field or the quantum mirror. We're opening up the possibilities of new narratives, new outcomes. What do you want? I'll I'll share a little bit of what I want. I want... uh, Um, everything that I need to sustain my life to be easily reproducible in a, in, within a, a very small distance, five, 10 miles of my home. In other words, the fuel I use, the food I eat, the, everything that I need to sustain myself 
to be easily reproducible in my community. I want that. It's more of a honeycomb structure where our environment in our in our proximity within you know a day's drive or whatever whatever context you want to put it in everything that i need to sustain myself is easily reproducible within my own environment i'm not getting some from thousands of miles away i'm there's not I don't have to have, uh, like, a, a, say, for example, crude oil. You put gas in your car, right? You put gas in your car and turn the car on and go putting around. Well, if I, if I give you a 1,000 gallons of crude oil, this is where gas comes from. If you have, a, if you have all that crude oil, could you make gas? No, you don't have a gas refinery. Is there a gas refinery within five or ten miles of your house? Probably not, maybe for some. Every time we're, we're dependent on something that we can't reproduce ourselves, then our ability to be self-sustaining within our own little ecosystem is lost. So my idea of heaven is everyone is able to take care of their fundamental needs within relatively close proximity of where they live. And so, you know, the... The Suez Canal gets blocked and shipping stops and 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 now <laughs> what did I see the other day? Uh um fruit that was grown in on one continent is shipped to another continent for packaging and then shipped to yet another continent for sales. What? Are you kidding me? How did we get to that? Talk about incongruency with the nature of nature. Um, I'm going to say one more thing, uh, and that's human consciousness. I suggest to you the most powerful substance on the planet that relates to our human narrative The future of humanity is humanity itself, is humanity itself. And what we focus our attention on, we get more of. The The format of this show is you, the listener. It's all about you, you, you. You, the listener. To understand the power of you as a human persona, a human genome. We're going on 12 years now and hundreds and hundreds of episodes to help awaken the power of you 
when you pay attention to what you would prefer the future to be, when you daydream, when you daydream what you would like your community to look like, to feel like, you're seeding the the seeds of our future. And so to daydream, to daydream what heaven would look like for you allows the opportunity for a new dynamic to come into the consciousness of the human narrative. Seated through you as you. How cool is that? Pay attention to what you want. Focus on what you want. Talk about what you want. That's how that's how the world changes. What an exciting time to be alive. I am I myself I'm very, very excited for humanity. I I mean this show over the years our, the, the power of the human persona is is such a phenomenal thing. And when we come to terms with who we are and then get focused about what do you want and get clear about that and then step into that, we'll literally create the future that we prefer. It's... To make it a conscious choice is a very powerful thing. I've really enjoyed tonight's episode, Conversations with Birds and our guest, Alan Powers. What a what a great guy. I really like how his passion to understand another species in an intimate way is impressive to me. I want to thank Alan again for being our guest on the show. Life's life's an exciting thing when you learn how to show up for it. I want to thank you for spending this time with us. Here we are at the end of the show, and here you are too. Way to show up for yourself. Always a pleasure. This has been a New Human Living broadcast. If you're looking for spiritual resources... There's literally hundreds of podcasts just like this one, free online. You can find them at newhumanliving.com. If you sign up for the newsletter, I write a weekly blog that helps you contemplate the nature of nature, contemplate the nature of your own human genome, contemplate your own human potential. How powerful is that? I can say it's powerful because you are powerful. I want to thank you for joining us in tonight's broadcast. I appreciate you, the listener. Until next time, thanks for listening.